You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. I would encourage you to, I, I know the passages will be up on the screen, but I would encourage you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, whether it's a, you know, a, an old-fashioned copy like that or whether it's one of your devices. Um, one of the ways that you can always make sure that you hold the speaker, the man standing up here accountable, is if you have God's Word in front of you so that you can know that what I'm saying is actually out of God's Word. So I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to go ahead uh, as we get started. I'll just read the passage that we're going to be in this morning. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> God's Word says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you uh, for this time that we get to gather and that we get to celebrate the work that you've done in this place and the work that you've done through this place. Father, we know that it is only by your grace, by your mercy, and through the power of your spirit that anything, that any kingdom work has been accomplished here. So, Father, we fully give you the glory this morning. Lord, we ask that you would be, that you would attend the preaching of your word. And, Father, that you would accomplish exactly what you send it forth to do, because that's what you promised to do. So we ask that you would do that this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, it is a blessing to be with y'all for your uh, 10th anniversary. You've been celebrating over the last few weeks. You've still got a few, uh, couple more weeks to go as you celebrate this just amazing milestone in the life of your church. Um, so, you know, Pastor Will already mentioned that it's been eight years since I've preached here. I guess that's, uh, that's about um, eight years from now you'll be looking forward to hearing me again. So maybe, maybe that'll happen. But uh, when, when he asked me to preach, I, I looked back through my notes and I was just trying to remember and trying to reflect on all of the things that have happened since then. It didn't seem like it had been eight years. I mean, it just seems like uh, yesterday it was when you were still over in the, uh, the pre-K uh, over there and you'd only been in existence for a couple of years. It had only been about two years since the, those meetings uh, at Giovanni's in the, in the pizza place. As Will said, I had just finished my time as a church planting catalyst, and I was waiting to start as the pastor at Parkview, uh, Parkview Baptist Church over in Bluefield, Virginia. And when, when God called me to that church, it was really the perfect church for how God wired me. It's funny how he works his call, exactly for how he's wired you. He's wired me for some reason to go into really broken, 
difficult situations and fix, you know, of course, in his power and fix those broken situations. There are some times that I wish, you know, Lord, could you just like call me to some place that's already working? <laughs> but no, it was, uh, it was to that situation that God called me. Before I got there in the eight years previous to, to my coming, they had been through two church splits, two devastating church splits. The first one was bad enough, but uh, the second one right before I got there took the church down to nearly nothing. If you've ever been in any of those kind of situations, you know the devastation that that leaves behind. And for the small core that was there when I got there, there was a lot of scars, a lot of things uh, a lot of things to work through and a lot of things to deal with. But in the eight years since then, by God's grace, he is growing us. I mean, we're never going to make, you know, on Mission Magazine or any of the fastest growing church lists or any of those kind of things. My ego couldn't handle that anyway. So once again, God knows how he wires you. But by God's grace, um, we're becoming a healthy church, just a just a wonderful picture of intergenerational, multi-ethnic ministry and lots of kids. And when I, the first Sunday I preached there, I was the youngest cat in the building. So that tells you something that was going on. But to see uh, the growth that God has been doing through that time is just, is just amazing. And because of that experience and because of the relationships uh, through all of that, God has opened the doors where I've been able to been asked to work with churches in the same kind of situation throughout Southern West Virginia and Southwest Virginia through our state convention, uh, the SBC of Virginia. And here's the thing, with dying or almost dead churches, the stories are very similar. I mean, the situations and the details are all different, but all of them, without exception, Every one of those churches, whether you're talking about Parkview or whether you're talking about any number of other dying or dead church, every one of them at one time started off as an exciting, thriving church plant, desperately wanting to reach people for Jesus. Every one of them, without exception. Sometime in the past, whether that past was 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago, sometime in the past, a group of people got together under the conviction of the Lord and said, we need to reach our community for Jesus. And it was an exciting, a thriving time for each one of those churches, but some way, somehow they lost their way. The story wasn't any different for Parkview back, in May, May, back on May 1st of 1960. There was a group of people that were sent out from Memorial Baptist Church in Bluefield, Virginia. They were sent out to this brand new uh, growing community called Double Gates. And they met in uh, the Parker family's basement. Y'all started off in a pizza place. We started off in a basement. <laughs> I think the food was probably better at your place. Although, I don't know. I wasn't around then. But a little over a year after those initial meetings in the basement of the Parker house, they moved out of the basement and bought a piece of property under this giant, beautiful maple tree. It was a piece of property right next to a duck pond, which was right next to a park. Of course, they got really creative when they named the church, <laughs> right? Say, well, hmm, it's in view of a park, so let's call it Parkview, 
And that is some brilliant marketing right there, right? But they were excited. There was a little log house on that piece of property, and they met in that little log house until they could get up enough to start building a building. Sometime around their 10-year anniversary, that church was growing so fast that that initial building that they built wasn't big enough. So they began to blow out walls and build education space. And I mean, it was an exciting time around their 10-year anniversary. When they were in the middle of all of that growth and excitement, if you could have gone back and interviewed the Parker family or the Stevenson family or the Kidd family or some of the founding families of our church, if you would have been able to interview them during that time, no one, not one of them, would have said, you know, just a few years from now, we're going to be a dying church. Not one of them would have thought that ever in the future of that church would they experience two devastating church splits. No one in that church in those days would have ever thought that they would have ceased to be a blessing in the community and they would have begun to be a blight in the community. No one would have ever believed that by 2014 they would end up with fewer people in attendance than they had in those original meetings back in the basement. Nobody would have ever believed that. And as I said, all the dead or dying churches that I work with, they all have one thing in common. Each of them started as exciting church plants that were on fire for Jesus, but each of them somewhere along the way, somehow for some reason, they forgot their mission. They lost their way. The stories are all different, but somehow they're the same. Well, folks, I want your story to be different. I want the story of New Heights to be different than that. I know your pastors want that. And it's something that I pray for regularly. This passage that we're looking at this morning, the Apostle Paul wanted the story to be different for the church at Ephesus. He didn't want to see them decline and die. Now, I know over the last few weeks, the danger of picking up in the middle of a series is, you know, it's been preached several times. And I know that y'all have heard the background of this several times, but listen, if you're going to ask a systematic expositional preacher to come fill the pulpit, you're going to hear the story again. So you're going to hear the background to this again. So don't tune me out. Just, uh, just pay attention. So as I said, you've heard this background for a while. You remember that the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to Timothy to the church at Ephesus. He was the one who was instrumental in planting the church back in Acts, back on uh, the end of the second missionary journey and then the beginning of the third missionary journey. The thing that was unique about the church at Ephesus was Paul didn't just plant the church and then later come back and visit to strengthen it. No, he stayed there and he pastored that church for at least three years. It was probably closer to about three and a half years. During that three and a half years while he was pastor there, it was, you could say, that was the church's heyday. That church was absolutely on fire for Jesus. They were on mission. They were proclaiming the gospel everywhere they went. They planted at least eight churches throughout that region during three years, three and a half year period. Planted at least eight churches. But not only that, if you look in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says that that whole region, 
not just Ephesus, not just the city of Ephesus, but that whole region heard the gospel, proclaimed from that church. So that was where, that was where Paul was during the start of this church. That was where, that was the history of this church. And then, of course, after about three, three and a half years, Paul left there. And then in the ensuing time, he wrote the letter of Ephesians that we have in our Bible. He wrote that letter to that church to correct some theological issues that they were having going on in the church. And then a few years after he wrote the letter, uh, the letter of Ephesians, he wrote the letter of 1 Timothy. They were having some leadership problems in the church, so Paul wrote that to correct some of those leadership issues. And now here it is sometime later. There's some time between the letter of 1 Timothy and this letter of 2 Timothy. And in this second letter, when Paul writes this, it's right before his death. This is his last letter. Some people call this the last will and testament of Paul. But this is the last thing that he wrote. Paul has spent his time, as you know from reading the New Testament, he spent his time in a whole lot of different prisons. But this one that he was in was the worst. Yes, it was his final prison that he spent time in. He was there basically on death row, but this prison wasn't uh, like, a, um, like house arrest or anything like this. This was basically no better than a hole in the ground. It was a filthy, disgusting hole in the ground where he was waiting to be executed for his faith. So as Paul is in that dank, dark hole, the last thing on his mind is that he wants to write this letter to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus. He wrote this to his beloved church there that had been planted probably somewhere between 10 and 15 years earlier. So as he was writing this, that church was in about the same, was about the same age as New Heights Church. And in this passage this morning, Paul gives his final encouragement. He get, he's been giving charges and encouragements all through, all through both of these letters. But now he gives his final encouragement, his final charge in this passage. New Heights, as you move forward in the next 10 years, if the Lord tarries, as you move forward in the next 10 years and beyond, this text gives you four things to consider to keep you on the path that you're on. First, you need to consider the charge that you've been given. Look back at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. <clears throat> he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Re reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You see that word there at the very beginning of verse 1, he, Paul says, I charge you. It's a good exercise if you're studying through the New Testament when you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It's a good exercise to go through and circle the word charge. He uses it over and over and over again in both of these letters as he's giving Timothy a charge to give to the church or he's giving the church directly a charge. But one thing I thought was fascinating as I was uh, going through this, this time of study, we're working through 1 Timothy at, at Parkview, but as I was going through and comparing this passage with the passages in 1 Timothy, one thing I didn't realize was behind that, that English word charge 
In the original language, there are two different words that are translated charge. The word that he uses that's translated charge throughout 1 Timothy is, it's more like a command. It's more like an order, giving an order. It's a bossy word. He's commanding Timothy to command the church to do certain things. But here in Timothy, even though in the English it says charge, it's a different word behind that. Instead of a command word, instead of a bossy word, this word is more of a it's more of an urgent plea. As Paul is in that hole, as he's on death row, as he's writing this last letter, he's giving an urgent, passionate plea. He's basically begging Timothy and the church to do certain. This is the final plea of a dying man to a church that he loves and that he wants to continue and to thrive long after he's gone. And look at how serious this charge is. Look how serious this plea is. As you look through verse 1 there, it's like he's piling on the seriousness as he goes. It's basically like he's saying, he's saying, I plead with you in the name of the triune God. In the name of the triune God, who is my witness? He's making that solemn, uh, almost a vow as he begs this. And he's saying, knowing that judgment day is coming and that Jesus is coming back to consummate his kingdom, Jesus, the judge, is coming back. You've got a job to do. That's the seriousness. That's the weight. And as he lays that, that weight, he says, above all else that you do, this is what I'm begging you to do. I'm begging you to preach the word. Above all else. Now here's where we need another reminder. Yes, this letter is addressed specifically to Timothy. It's got Timothy's name on it. So you might think that, well, it's fitting to read this or to, to preach this in a way that we're talking directly to your pastors. Because they're the ones with char charged with preaching to your church. But you've got to remember that this letter, yes, it was addressed to Timothy, and there are some specific things that are being charged to Timothy, but it was to be read in front of the whole church. It's a public, open letter to the whole church. So this charge is not just to Timothy. It's a charge to the whole church. You, not just your pastors, you need to preach the Word. Wait a minute, Jim. I'm not called to preach. I'm not supposed to stand up on that platform and preach. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about proclaiming the Word. If you're a believer here this morning, if you're part of the family of New Heights Church, then you are charged with proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel everywhere you go. You need to be actively proclaiming the word, whether it's popular or whether it's unpopular. And listen to me, as we move through this timeline of history that we're in, it's becoming less and less popular every day. But you're called to proclaim the word. 
whether it's popular, whether it's unpopular, whether it's convenient, whether it's inconvenient, whether you're comfortable doing it, whether you're uncomfortable doing it, whether you're an introvert or whether you're an extrovert, none of us can sit back and say, well, God, you know what? You made me to be shy or to be uncomfortable speaking to people, so I guess I have an exemption. (laughs) No. Each of us as believers are called to proclaim the word. I don't care what your personality type, I don't care what your Enneagram score is, I don't care any of that stuff. Each of us is given that solemn, weighty charge. You know, it was about, um, this isn't the last time that the church at Ephesus appears in Scripture, certainly on the timeline of Scripture. If you look in Revelation chapter 2, you see that Jesus, as he was revealing these things to the Apostle John, Revelation chapter 2, the first part, is specifically addressed to the church at Ephesus. That letter was written about 30 years after this letter. And in that letter, Jesus harshly rebukes the church at Ephesus. You know why he harshly rebuked them? And I'm having trouble saying that word this morning. Can't get my tongue wrapped around my eye teeth. I can't see what I'm saying. You know why Jesus fussed at the church at Ephesus? He fussed at the church at Ephesus because they lost their first love. Lost their first love. You know, people try to figure out what that means. Remember how I told you that when the church was planted? Remember how I told you they were on fire and they planted like eight churches and and they were, everybody was gossiping the gospel so much that that whole area heard the gospel. That was their first love, wasn't it? And here they are, just 30 years after Paul's last letter to them. And Jesus is telling telling them, look, I'm going to shut you down because you've lost your first love. Somewhere, somehow, along the way, the church at Ephesus had lost sight of what they were supposed to be doing. They lost sight of their charge to proclaim the word everywhere they went. New Heights Church, as you move forward in the next 10 years and beyond, I'm pleading with you, do not lose your first love. Consider the charge that you've been given to keep proclaiming the gospel. That's the first thing you need to consider. The second thing you need to consider is consider the times that you're in. Look at verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but, be, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Notice there at the beginning of verse 3, it begins with a conjunction, that, that word for. That word for, it's a connecting word, connecting those first two verses to these next two verses. And basically when you see that in Scripture, what, it, what it's doing is it's giving the, the he, in the first two verses he gave the what, and now he's giving the why. Why are you to be proclaiming the word? Why is it to be in season and out of season? Well, the reason why is because of the situation we see in verses 3 and 4. But notice how the reason why is completely counterintuitive. What, what we would like to say is, well, we're supposed to proclaim the word because it's supposed to make our churches grow big and it's supposed to make people love us and it's supposed to you know, give us a, a great revitalized community and all of these kinds of things. 
No. That's not the why, is it? It's not so that we can be attractive to our culture. We're not going to be attractive to our culture because the gospel that we proclaim is completely countercultural. Isn't doesn't the Bible describe itself as offensive? The gospel is offensive. Now we're not called to be offensive in the way that we proclaim the gospel. We're supposed to be winsome and and loving in the way that we proclaim it. But the message that we proclaim is countercultural and it is offensive. It is a stench in the nostrils of our culture and it's becoming increasingly more so. People don't want to hear that apart from Christ they are lost and on their way to an eternity in hell. They don't want to hear that. That is offensive for somebody to hear. They don't want to hear that no amount of yoga or mindfulness or self-help or any of those kind of things will make them a better person. They don't want to hear that. They, they want to think that there's some way that they can fix themselves into being a better person. They don't want to hear that there's no way that we can fix ourselves. They don't want to hear, they don't want to hear that the only solution is in Jesus. They don't want to hear that. They, now, folks are all exciting and excited and willing to hear about some sort of a squishy, squishy God that has a beautiful plan for their life. They're all about hearing that. As long as he's not a personal God. As long as he's not a wrathful God. They definitely don't want to hear that they're under wrath the wrath of the God who created them. Our culture doesn't want to hear that. They don't want to hear about their sins, so they definitely don't want to hear about a Savior who died to pay for their sin. The thought of God the Son becoming sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, and there is no other way to the Father but through Jesus, they don't want to hear that. That's completely countercultural. Listen, I, I absolutely love your pastors. I love your pastors. I love your pastors because of their boldness. I love your pastors because when they stand up here, or when they stand in a classroom, when they proclaim the Word of God, they do it in all truth and boldness. They say what the Scripture says. They speak the truth of God. I love the way they faithfully preach the Word of God every time that they have the opportunity. Listen to me, church. You need to continue to hold them to that. Because as we move farther and farther along this timeline, that is becoming more and more difficult. And listen, as a pastor, I know how that everything can pull you in 400 different directions if you let it. Church, you can't let that happen. You continue to hold them to preach the Word, to encourage them in that. Encourage them in their task of faithfully preaching the Word. You know, there's going to come a time. It, it's, it's awesome. Like next Sunday when you have these doors open and, and when Main Street is open and you know, people are coming, all that kind of stuff. And it's awesome, the relationships that you built in your community and, and all of that. But there's coming a time when we're not going to be very popular. 
You know, we, we work as churches to build relationships in the community and get a, just get a good name in our community. But there's coming a time not too long from now when just because we proclaim the name of Jesus, we will not be welcome. When that happens, don't stop. Don't stop. Consider the times that you're in and continue to faithfully proclaim the gospel. As it said back up in verses 1 and verse 2, whether it's in season or out of season, whether it's convenient, whether it's inconvenient, whether it's popular or whether it's unpopular, consider the times that you're in and continue faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Consider the charge you've been given and consider the times you're in. As you move forward in the next 10 years and beyond, you also need to consider the work that you've been called to. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Woo! That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? That's not one of those verses that you see posted on Instagram a lot to, you know, give you a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings, is it? Words like sober-minded. Sober-minded. Not, not exactly a party word, is it? But that word sober-minded, it carries the idea of weight, of responsibility. It's, a, it's like a gravity word. And when Paul uses those words, when, when he writes this sentence under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's not saying that we don't have fun. <laughs> not saying that we don't have fun at all. I think there are a few things that are, would be more fun than to watch some Lincoln County redneck baptizing people in the back of a truck. I mean, that's, that's a hoot right there, right? Next Sunday, y'all are going to have a ball. I might just sneak back in, depending on if my... We got tickets to the Reds and Rockies game. I'm a Rockies fan. If my Rockies are getting whipped as bad as they have been, I might just sneak back by. Because you all be having more fun than I will. But there's nothing wrong with having fun. We're supposed to have fun. We're supposed to have joy in Christ. But here's the reality. Our fun doesn't overshadow the gravity and the seriousness of the work that we're called to. This gospel work that we're called to, this is serious business. It's eternally serious. The work that we're called to do is serious, and it's worth suffering for, and it's worth dying for. Wait a minute. I thought that you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and everything's going to go smooth and all that. And if he asks you to do something, he's going to give you all the gifting that you need to do it. And it's just going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns the whole way. <laughs> well, if you thought that, you haven't read your scripture much. You haven't read your Bible much. Because if it was really that way, then why in the world would the Apostle Paul tell Timothy that he needed to do the work of an evangelist? the work of an evangelist. Now, the Holy Spirit does give certain people the gift of evangelism. I don't completely understand what that is, but the gift indicates that it's something that just overflows. And I know people that are, man, they're like that. It's like they can walk through Burger King and 15 people get saved in the line. <laughs> Folks, that ain't me. 
And the reality is, is it isn't most of you. It's not most of us. And apparently it wasn't that way for Pastor Timothy. So if we don't have this amazing gift of evangelism, then we're off the hook, right? <laughs> not hardly. That's why Paul has to tell Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. For us mere mortals, evangelism takes, intentional evangelism takes a lot of work. And that's the work that you're called to. That's the work that I'm called to. It seems like statistics, you know, statistics, they change depending on what people want to say. But there's one thing that's been pretty consistent in surveys that they've done over the last probably 15 years. The statistics, the reality says that most church members, most believers, go their whole lifetime without sharing the gospel one time. <laughs> Folks, that ought to break our heart. Actually, for some of us, that ought to put a knife in our heart. Because that's speaking to some of us in this room. Whether they'd ever say it or not, many believers think, well, that evangelism stuff, that proclaiming the gospel, that witnessing stuff, that's what we pay the preachers to do. <laughs> um, I thank God that you as a church know better than that. You know how I know that you know better than that? Because your pastors are faithful to proclaim the word to you. And if you've had the word proclaimed to you, you know better than that. Not only do I know that because of the way that they teach and the way that they preach, I know that because I've seen the evidence in your community and beyond that you realize, that many of you realize that it is every believer's responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to share your faith. What I'm asking is that you never lose that. Don't ever lose that. As you continue into the next 10 years and beyond, continue to do the work of an evangelist. Not if it's easy, not just if it's easy, not just if it's convenient, but continue to do the work of an evangelist. Never forget the work that God has called you to. Consider the charge that you've been given. Consider the times you're in. Consider the work that you've been called to. And finally, consider the reward that awaits you. Look at verses 6 through 8. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Well, isn't that encouraging? I mean, what an encouraging just glimpse into what awaits us that Paul gives here. Here is Paul at the end of his life as he's in that stinking hole reminding us of what he is looking, for, looking forward to. Reminding us of this glorious hope that he's holding on to. All the pain, all the difficulty, all the heartache that he's been through throughout his life. He's realizing it's worth it. Every moment of it has been worth it. One of my favorite passages that he wrote to the 
church at Corinth. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. I, I love this, the way that he, the Holy Spirit crafted this verse through him. He says, for this light momentary affliction. Listen to me, whatever you're going through now, whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in the world right now, we get so tied up in knots of whatever the latest news is, all of that kind of stuff. Listen, even in a hole awaiting to have your head cut off like Paul was, it's but a light momentary affliction. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the, th to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. They're fading away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This hope that he's holding on to, this is his eternal hope. Listen, I know, I know that the last 10 years of your church life, I know that they've not been easy. I know that there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into the work of New Heights Church. I know that those last 10 years have not been easy, and I can't predict the future. I'm not Nostradamus or any of those kind of things, but I can guarantee you that the next 10 years, if Jesus tarries, the next 10 years aren't going to be easy either. It's going to be difficult. But listen to me. I don't care how difficult it is. It is so worth it. It is eternally worth it. As you continue to see people saved, as you continue to see people baptized, as you continue to see lives changed, as you continue to see families grow, families be healed, families be mended, broken lives mended, as you continue to see the Holy Spirit change people, as you continue to see your community impacted, as you continue to see churches planted, as you continue to see the gospel go around the world, as you continue to make disciples, as you continue to develop leaders, as you continue all of those things, it is so worth it. It's hard. Man, <laughs> it's eternally worth it. See, these dead and these dying churches that I work with, somehow, somewhere along the way, they forgot that. They forgot that it's worth it. You know, I, anytime that I bring this up, I hear stories, right? Churches fighting over whether to put up a screen or what kind of a hymnal to use or any of those kind of things. I mean, there's a million different things that churches will fight over because they forget these things. They lose sight of the charge that God gives them to preach the word. They lose sight of the changing times they're in. And either they become like the world or they isolate themselves, hide themselves from it. They lose sight of every member doing the work of an evangelist. And they either ignore the fact that they're supposed to be an evangelist or they try to farm it out to their pastor. And saddest of all, each of those churches somehow along the way, they've lost sight of the reward that awaits them. Now, the, when I say that they've lost sight of the reward and all those kind of things, I'm not saying that the believers in those churches have lost their salvation. We know that those whom Jesus saves, he holds on to with an unbreakable, omnipotent grip, and he'll never let you go. They didn't lose their salvation, but they did lose the reward. They, lose the, lose, they lost the reward of seeing the fruit of, 
of a faithful ministry. New Heights Church family, you have been faithful over these last 10 years. And God has used you in some amazing ways. When a church that's only 10 years old, when people look to a church that's only 10 years old for leadership, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to see how God has used you. And if the Lord tarries, I pray that you will continue to be that kind of faithful until Jesus comes back. Whether it's 10 minutes from now or 10 years from now or 10 decades from now, I pray that you will continue to be faithful. But before we go, I, I need to remind you of one thing. <clears throat> I don't want you to walk away from here, not now especially, <laughs> but I don't want you to walk away from here thinking, okay, so I've been given this checklist of things that I have to do that we have to do. I want you to be thinking about this as a checklist because the reality is you and I in and of ourselves, we don't have the power to do this. We don't have the power to do any of these things. You're not going to stay faithful in your own strength. You're not going to stay faithful in Pastor Will's strength or Pastor Jeremy's strength or Pastor Patrick's strength or Pastor Jabe's strength. You're not going to stay faithful. You're not going to stay strong and stay faithful because of your great leadership or your great strategy or facilities or any of the things that are around us. That's not what's going to make you stay faithful. Only way you're going to stay faithful is by the grace of God and the power of His Spirit. Now, my church, we've taken eight years before they've learned how to say amen. And I know y'all are, are better at that than that. The only way that you're going to stay strong and stay faithful if you do it in the grace of God and in the power of His might. Amen? Back up in verse 1. Look back up there again quickly. Back up in verse 1, all of those phrases that he piles on top of each other. He's giving his charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. That's who your power is in. None of this is going to happen in your own strength and in your own power. Listen, you can consider your charge, your times, your work, your reward. You can consider those things all you want to, but unless you're abiding in Christ and empowered by His Spirit, then all of it's going to be for naught. All of it's going to be in vain. So listen to me. I've been asking you to consider all of these things as a church. So I want you to focus, I want you to zero in, I want you to make your aperture a little bit smaller this morning. I want you to consider your own heart. See, we can ask the church to do all these kind of things, but I want to ask you to do something right now. I want, you to, I want to ask you to consider your relationship with Jesus. As an individual, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior. Have you trusted Him? Have you bowed your heart before Him as your King? See, here's the thing about salvation. We can get so confused, and I know those who have sat under the teaching here for years, you've heard the gospel clearly and plainly. But for some of those who might not have 
Here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that in and of ourselves, we always want to place ourselves on the throne of our life, on the throne of our heart. We're inherently selfish. But what, what it means when you trust Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior is you relinquish the throne of your heart. You relinquish the throne of your life and you give Jesus his rightful place in your heart. Yes, you trust him as Savior. You believe the fact that he died on the cross, that he took your sin so that, you, so that he might give you the righteousness of God. It's a great exchange that takes place. And before we can ever consider the future of this church, you've got to consider your own future. Do you have the same kind of hope that Paul had? Or do you not know, not know what might happen to you? Were you in his same situation? So before you ever consider the things that you should do as a church, I want you to consider that for yourself. Have you trusted Jesus? as your Lord and Master and Savior. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.